name is Neil Middleton and every month we create informative content for you as we talk to important, influential and inspirational people from the world of bats as well as other areas of interest. To find out more about Batability, go to batability.co.uk. Now for the interview. Let's do it. And hello everybody. We have got a fabulous talking bat lined up for you today. Today we are speaking with David King. Hi David, how are you doing? Hi, I'm fine thanks Neil. Where are you at the moment? You're down in, in far Snelling south of England, yeah? Yeah. yeah? yeah. Yeah. And is that, is that sunshine I see pouring in from the window behind you or is it just daylight? Or It's, it's trying to break through but it's not doing very well at the moment. Excellent, excellent stuff. Well, anyway, so excited to be talking to you today because uh, you're someone that I've been aware of right from the very start of my uh, interest in bats. When when I went on bat walks with uh, people who I didn't appreciate back then quite how amazing those people were, uh, they were all using uh, equipment uh, Know, developed by yourself and produced by yourself at originally Stag Electronics. So we're going to talk a lot more about that in a minute, I'm quite sure. But what I want to do first of all is uh, just ask a little bit about how did you get into bats in the first place? What were you doing before bats? Because we're talking what, 25, 30 years ago? More than that, 35 years ago. 35 years ago, wow, okay. No, bats wasn't really a big thing back then. No, it wasn't. Yeah. How how did you get into it? Tell us a little bit about that, yeah. My ex-wife was a zoologist and uh, she was quite interested in bats. And it it was a, a, a just embryonic interest in the country then. Only, only universities and places like that were interested in bats. And she said to me, uh, could you design a bat detector for me? Because before that, I was um, designing electronics for um, as part-time for musicians. Um, and um, she asked me if I would uh, design her a bat detector. I didn't know what one was, so I, I read up about it and came out of my workshop with something that she didn't think was very good <laughs> okay <laughs> so but I, I took it along to a a meeting a back group meeting it was that there were a few interested people in this was in Cornwall uh in bats and I took it along there and, and we went out looking at bats and uh it turned out to be better than the the ones they were using which was this QMC I remember, I remember something that looked very familiar to that. Yeah. Do you want to hold that a bit closer to the camera, David? Just hold that a bit closer. Yeah, okay, yeah. It, it, it had a little dial with a bar, that, which was kind of, uh, had fluorescent paint on it. So you had to have a torch to, to look at the frequency. And it was really a converted transistor radio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just replaced the aerial with an ultrasonic microphone. Okay. Um, uh, but it, it worked, uh, very noisy and very hissy. But uh, so that was the only thing around. And, and this thing that I'd made 
was quiet. It was the first bat box three, you see. Okay. And okay. Um, one of these. <laughs> yeah, go and just hold that a bit closer. Yeah, just uh, yeah, that's yeah. We're going to talk about those a little bit later. Yeah. So, and uh, everybody was amazed at the sound it made, and they said, "Oh, can you make me one?" And at the mo at that time, I was uh, teaching music in in Cornwall, okay. and uh, and I started making them for people, just friends. And one reached the National Bat Conference, and Phil Richardson, who was one of my heroes after that, yeah. um, picked it up, and he asked me to make one for him. So I made one for him. And then he wrote a, an article in um, Bat Chat. Yeah, I remember that. Okay, NCC yeah. NCC magazine. Yeah. Wrote a review that, That's when it. that used to come through the post, ladies and gentlemen. That's right. Okay, right. Yeah. There, there was no internet or Facebook right. no or internet, stuff like no. that back then. Yeah. <laughs> and checks started landing on the doorstep for right. these because he, he'd put the price and the, the address and everything at the bottom of the review. So uh, I, I made as many as I could, as fast as I could, but the, the, the requests for them just kept pouring through the letterbox. So, so meanwhile, then, okay, so you're like a part-time hobby electrician, yeah? Yes. You're also a music teacher, yeah? Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. And uh, and you're and you also, I believe, get, getting involved in producing things for musicians that we're going to talk about in a minute. And your wife at the time decides to ask you just to build a bat detector, and you knew nothing about bats at that point. Um, it was just yeah, just give it a bash. So when did Phil Richardson write that article in? The Bat Magazine, yeah. It's 1990. Wow. So, okay, first question. Sorry, next question. Why did you call it the Bat Box 3? What happened to the Bat Box 1 and the Bat Box 2? Well, they uh, the one I showed my wife was actually Bat Box 1, I think it was. Okay. And it was in two halves. There was a speaker and the Bat Detector okay. separately so that you had to plug into one another. And then I thought Bat Box 2 was the first one with the with a speaker built in okay. and and uh, it was the same electronics but I just managed to make it smaller because in in these days um, I had to um, etch the boards myself okay so I had to put tape over copper clad boards and then dip it in acid and and etch away the copper to leave the tracks and uh, it was only later that when I started making lots of them, I couldn't do them all individually, that I used to have to put tape rather like this. Um, this was the front. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. Uh, you, you had to put tape on, a, on tracing paper and then they would reduce it and photograph it and produce boards. So it was, it was a very painstaking thing. Nowadays, you just get a computer program and you put tracks on and you just click for a pad. Yeah. These were all placed with tweezers uh, and uh, it was pretty primitive. Right, so how, how, how long would have it taken, if, if I'd asked you back in 1990, okay, to build one of those first bat box threes, okay, the same sort of way that Four Richardson had asked you, mm. how long would have it taken you to actually build one from scratch? Yeah. Well, the first two, 
uh, took about three days to to do from start to finish. Okay. Um, and then I quickly realized when people sent these checks and that I would need more. So I went to a company called Photo Etch in Penzance. Okay. I don't think they exist anymore. Um, and they, they made a, a few boards for me, um, small quantity of boards. So it was that halved the time. So probably a day for each one, really, so after, after 1989. Wow, wow, wow. Right, I, want to, I want to just go off on a little bit of a diversion now. Right, why, why is Dire Straits Brothers in Arms album, which is an amazing album, by the way, we'll keep some classic Dire Straits tracks on that yeah. album, and uh, Mark Knopfler, an amazing guitarist. I've been very lucky. I did see them live once. I think it was the Tunnel of Love tour from yeah. memory. I saw them yeah. live. But anyway, why is this album cover uh, relevant to, well, to us? On, on the today? photo, yeah. on that Dobro guitar, you can see yeah. the wire going from the... Down here. To the bridge. Yeah. And, and there's a socket at the end. That's that's one of the transducers I made um, for Ashworth Electronics, and okay. they and he bought one of those uh, to put on his guitar. That was you you it picks up the sound from the bridge and amplifies it because acoustic guitars it was difficult with microphones to stop feedback. Right. So they um, they transducers were preferable. They didn't sound very good at the beginning. They sound much better these days. Um, but uh, it's a contact mic, basically. Okay, okay. Very fiddly to make. If you're enjoying listening to our podcasts, perhaps you would also be interested in joining Batability Club. To find out more about Club, which includes hundreds of hours of accessible training resources available to you in your own time and at your own pace, go to batability.co.uk. Thank you. So you actually produced this for one of Mark Knopfler's guitars, yeah? Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow, okay. And he is a pretty impressive uh, guitarist, I'm sure you would agree, yeah? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, but something I hadn't... Uh, I hadn't appreciated about yourself, okay, until just the last few weeks, is you are a pretty impressive guitarist yourself now. Ladies and gentlemen, everybody <laughs> listening to this, I'm going to confess that yes, I have played guitar since the uh, since my early twenties, so I'm in my late fifties now, and you know. I used to think I was kind of reasonably okay at it. And then I saw what uh, David King was capable of. And I just thought, okay, I don't even know if I'm going to mention that I play guitar. I'm even I'm even embarrassed to mention that I play guitar. Do you mind if I let people uh, to see you in action here, David? Would that be all right? Yeah, okay. not at all, no. Right. So this is available on YouTube and there are a few... Uh, different things of David doing things on YouTube. Uh, hopefully this is going to work. I'm just going to let it run for, well, I'm probably just going to let it run for the for the minute or so that it's on because I think it would be rude to stop it halfway through if that's okay, David. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. 
That uh, is astonishing. That's astonishing. So, where did you learn to play like that? <laughs> well, I had lessons at the Royal Academy uh, in the 60s. Uh, okay. And uh, I learned with a, quite a few good recitalists at the time as well, um, before I started teaching. And I was a guitar teacher for a long time. Okay. Um, teaching in schools, colleges, universities, things like that. Yeah. Um, I didn't had no idea I'd be anything to do with bats. Right. And I thought I'd be doing that for the rest of my life. But I, um, that was that recording was done a few years ago. But I'd been not doing guitar playing for a long time. I used to do recitals and things, but I hadn't been playing for a while when I did that recording. Um, so it was quite an easy piece. Uh, but before that, I used to. <laughs> Piece. You, you lost me at the first fret. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I used to do a lot more practice uh, when I was a musician. Okay. But okay. that was a while I was making bat detectors. Wow, wow. Well, I've got to say, um, I, I watched that the you know a week or two back when I when I first came across it, and I was just like. Oh my word! Oh my word! Um, yeah, novice. It's, it's yeah. the composers. That's down to the composer, really, because it's a nice piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's well written for the guitar. Yeah, Antonio Lauro, his name was. Okay, ah, but but uh, look, I do finger picking. Okay, but I I can't do finger picking like that. Okay, <laughs> it's just like <laughs> that's well beyond uh, well beyond me. But uh, so, did you have any any? I suppose people ask you this, uh, any of your students uh, go on to be well-known, famous guitarists? Um, um, well, not only one famous one, but uh, the others, are lots of professionals. Okay. But um, Pino Palladino was, okay. a, was a pupil of mine. Okay. Uh, he's, uh, he's on every album here. If, you, if you've heard Lady in Red. Okay, um, yeah. Wherever I ha lay my hat, yeah. Paul Young. Yes. Uh -huh. um, uh, it, the the list is enormous. He plays on all of those albums. Wow. Um, okay. Wow. Amazing player. He's a bass bass guitarist now, of course. Okay. Okay. But he was a pupil of mine on the classical guitar when when he was seventeen. Wow. Wow. Okay. That's great stuff. And obviously, you still play. Yes. I mean, you you haven't. To throw the guitar away or anything, just uh, I play very little nowadays, right? Okay, but I don't want to get rid of my guitars, right? Okay, <laughs> no, good. no I, can, I can understand that. I can understand that. Okay, well, that, that's uh, thank you, thank you for that. And I think that's the first time I've ever heard uh, music on a talking bat, uh, talking bat interview, so. Yeah, so let's <laughs> let's talk a little bit about this about this. Now this looks a little bit. This isn't my uh, bat box three, but it looks very like my bat box three, which I've still got. It's over there somewhere in a cupboard. Um, but the one thing that I was able to dig out this morning because I just woke, I woke up this morning and I thought, yeah, I'm talking to David today, and I'm pretty darn sure that 
I still have the original receipt from my very first bat detector that I bought off of you in 1996 and there is the receipt uh, everybody and I still, I, I have bought lots and lots of bat detectors over the years, I have uh, many but I always held on to this receipt for some reason because it was my very first one not appreciating that one day I would be doing this interview with you. So there you go, David. You gave me my very first bat detector in 1996 and boy, that was well used. And my goodness, that got me well into uh, trying to understand about bat acoustics and stuff. I don't know if I've learned much over the years, but that certainly got me well started. So thank you very, very much for that. Tell us a little bit more about this. You must have sold lots of these then over the years. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yes um, before we changed it uh, to the 3D, the digital version, um, I think we'd sold 10,000. Wow. Um, Ten, uh, sorry. Worldwide. 10,000. Yeah, um, that was of, the, of this um, yeah, 3D, yeah. Uh, three, uh, Batbox 3. Yeah. It, um, it was surprising how slowly technology moved in those days. These days, five years, you'd call something obsolete in five years. Yeah, yeah. But in those days, uh, well, I still get these back for repair. Yeah. You know, yeah. that were made 30 years ago. I suppose it's like a, a safety pin, you know, it doesn't evolve. Yeah, you, yeah. You can still use it as a tool, yeah. even though there are sophisticated safety pins. Yeah, yeah. Well, I've still, I've still got my original one and mm. it still works. It still works. Um, although, I mean, I, I hardly use it now. I'll, I'll maybe uh, hand, out on, hand it out on uh, Batwalks. I think I ended yeah. up with maybe five or six of these at one point, because we had a project that we started in the late 90s, uh, early 2000, called Bats and the Millennium Link. And we had a series of these set up on tripods uh, going into a four-track uh, four recorder. Oh, yeah. And the Dobenton's bats, as they flew along the canal, used to set the bat box threes off in sequence. And we could tell from the four-track recorder uh, which direction the bats were yeah. coming from yeah. but uh, but yeah i've still got my original one uh, which uh, you know they bat... were they were always good for bat walks because they were loud yeah um, yeah and it, i remember the first time i ever heard a bat was on the bat walks one i went around to try it to my brother-in-law's uh, to try it out um and turned it on didn't hear anything for a while and i thought oh, perhaps it's not working and then a pipistrel came past and it was so loud and clear that I, I was, uh, you know, hooked on, on bat sounds from that day on. Cause it, um, and I think people used to buy them because they were loud and several people around you could hear the bats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, even though nowadays I would say wear headphones. Uh, in those days, yeah, yeah. it was getting people interested. In fact, uh, it's what motivated me to... Um, try and make different detectors um, was to increase the public awareness of bats. Because when I started, people, you know, you could speak to every other person in the street and they'd say, have we got bats in this country? Yeah. You know, or 
you know, the thing about vampires, it was only vampires that they'd heard of. Yeah. But um, most of what I wanted to do was to generally get something that was available for everybody to get this kind of ent oral entertainment that you get when you put a bat detector on at yeah. night yeah. in the summer, um, rather than the scientific way, which are, obviously is important, but that was the only field at the time. There was the, in universities, they were the only people interested. Yeah, because back then, and okay, I wasn't in the ecology sector when I originally started in BATS. I was very much just uh, somebody that was into natural history that then fell into BATS by accident, got more interested, bought a BAT detector um, and mentress grew from then. But, but back then, we didn't have... The world wasn't like what it was today. We didn't have no. consultancies, you no. know, all over the place, buying bat no. detectors um, for, you know, developments and all the rest of it. Yeah. That, that, that just, that wasn't happening. No. <laughs> we didn't have wind farms back then, or if we did, mm. it was very, very early days and bats probably wouldn't have even been considered as mm. uh, something that was an issue. Uh, no, in, in mainly Alec. universities were yeah. studying them. And when, when I first started making the threes, um, people used to send them back and say, uh, saying, uh, mine's not working properly because uh, I'm picking up pipistrels at 55 kilohertz. Well, and course. the calibration must be out. Of course. So I looked at it and the calibration was right. And I'd send them back and say, no, it's right. That must be echolocating at 55. And then Phil Richardson's got um, interested in this and, and prompted Gareth Jones at Bristol to do some research and Gareth and some other friends had noticed um, the differences and and carers were saying they look slightly different as well and then Gareth's work obviously found the Pipistrellus pygmaeus yeah uh, yeah and that, that was about yeah. 1990 something like that yeah uh, well it was yeah because um yeah I remember I remember the day that I found out that they'd been officially split. I can't remember the year. I'm thinking 98, 99 was maybe when. There was a paper that was done by a whole load of uh, authors. I seem to remember that, uh, I might have this wrong, there were various papers that were done, but there was one paper in particular that uh, looked at the DNA sequencing or yeah. whatever between the species, and that paper was the final clincher yes, that what yes. there was was two totally separate species yeah. it wasn't like a subspecies but up That's until right. that point yeah, yeah. we used to talk about pip 55s and pip 45s yeah. and we described them like that because they were broadly regarded at that time as being a phonotype as opposed yes. to a different species as is that, am I remembering this yes, correctly? That's yeah. right, yes, and yeah. and it's very apt actually because I didn't realise I didn't realise that this was going to happen, but the gentleman in this picture here, Colin Cato, okay, <laughs> the reason I remember uh, being told about it was because I was with a group of bat workers on a bat course in Perthshire, and Colin Cato 
was one of the people delivering the material at that course and Colin announced to the people on that course that the pipistrels had just been formally split into two different species. And that's just so amazing. We've got a picture of him there for a totally different reason of what we're talking about. And, um, and, and I remember somebody asked him a question and they said, but yeah, are they two totally different species or are they able to breed with each other and produce fertile young or whatever? And Colin's answer was uh, that those bats were as far away from each other as the species can get, um, you know, as yes. you would get with any other species. It wasn't like it was a, a sibling species no. or a, no. a subspecies or anything like that. It was two totally different species. And we yeah. were all sitting there quite excited about it because, yeah, uh, yeah it's, you know, all of a sudden things took on a slightly different meaning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, um, the detective that is in the picture there with Colin is, is this... Um, yeah, I had one of those. In fact, I've yeah. possibly still got it in a box somewhere. Yeah, yeah. This was to try and get children interested. Um, and you didn't have to tune because you just could flip from one frequency to another. So you yeah. you had a little eye that would light up. That's and, right, uh, yeah. Smaller yeah. bat. Yeah. And then you'd... Uh, yeah. And one was aimed at big bats. Another one was aimed at pips. Yeah. From that's memory. right. They yeah. had... Yeah. Um, two center frequencies one would cover all the small species and one would cover the bigger species yeah and i also seem to remember and i was on the very first back course i did outside of scotland and i think it was the second back course i'd ever done in my entire life was a course run by uh, patty and brian briggs okay and from memory it was down in flatford mill uh, Field Study Council Centre. I think it was Flatford Mill. They did the course. And they had this thing. And of course, I didn't know you at the time. I didn't know anybody at the time. Uh, they had this thing that they got us using called bat ears. Yeah? Yes. And it was like, it was a pair of headphones. And, oh, have you got them there? Brilliant. Yeah. Okay. And... One side was tuned to one frequency, another side was tuned to another frequency. Was that how no, it worked? I can't remember. It was the, yeah. the same, the same box. Um, right. Uh, you you switched from low frequency to high frequency with a toggle switch at the top. Yeah. Uh, this is the battery on this side. Yeah. And this is the unit. Yeah. And it fits uh, fitted to a comfortable pair of headphones, fairly good quality headphones, and you you'd walk around hands free. Yeah. So you, you wouldn't be having to carry equipment around and you could carry your torch and just listen to bats as you went along. Yeah. Oh, I remember that, I mean, P P Patty pulled this out halfway through the course and, you know, there was only, what, four or five or six of us on the course from memory. And the whole had a shot of these bat ears and I seem to remember we were beside a small lake and there were the Bentons flying around and obviously pips and that yeah, was pretty... Uh, Pretty amazing. Uh, Did you try them on? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We, all, we all had a shot. We all had oh, a shot right, of them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't even know if could have that possibly even been a prototype they had, or uh, or maybe just come out. I can't remember. This is 
they could have just come out because yeah, uh, yeah I I saw quite a few of them, but it didn't take off in a big way. Uh, it became the favourite detector of some people. Some people wouldn't go out without them. Yeah, because it was like extending your own ears into the ultrasound yeah. range. Yeah, and you were able to get this. I mean, this is a long time ago, okay, but you, you were able to get a slight sense of di- directionality from yes. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, because as you move your head, yeah, um, you would get a sense of loudness changing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that was that was it. There were some detectors subsequently produced with one microphone one side and one the other. I think. Right. Okay. Last Pedersen did that. Okay. Yeah. 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 Um, which would do a kind of stereophonic image, but um, no, these you could certainly, as you turned your head, it would be louder or quieter. So you, would, yeah. yeah, yeah, you would get a sense of direction from that. Right. So talk- but the, yeah. the the difficulty with uh, doing a niche market in electronics is the quantity. If you if you can send te- sell ten million of an item, you can do them for pennies. Um, but when you, I used to have to buy the headphones in from Sennheiser um, at a slightly reduced price from retail price and then add the electronics to it. So even though you're trying to produce something cheap, it ends up expensive. And that's the problem with making bat detectors. You, you, not every household wants one. So you, yeah. you have to make them in small batches and the smaller the batch, the more expensive. Yeah. So I was battling against that right the way through, really. Yeah. So you mentioned Lars Peterson there, uh, who's somebody that uh, we interviewed on Talking Bat uh, yeah. in his tail end of last year from memory. So Lars was, I can't remember when Lars told me they started manufacturing their bat detectors, but it, it couldn't have been, you couldn't have been far away from each other no. in terms of very similar, very About similar time scale. Eighty-seven or something, eighty-eight. Right. Yeah. And we were. I was making prototypes in about eighty-eight. Yeah. Yeah. And then after after the Batbox three, he produced his first similar looking one. Yeah. But the knobs were on the opposite sides. That's, but it was. Yeah. It was like a a, a white version of the That's same right. thing. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, because I, I think he realised that people wanted um, a pocket detector that was cheap and uh, and loud um, for walks and things like that. Yeah, and and pretty much from a from a British Isles. Now you said you've you've sold equipment all around the world. Yeah, but uh, from a British Isles perspective. Uh, there was there was a period, and again, this is before the internet and Amazon, and mm. um, you know, people being able to go into NHBS and order any bat detector from any manufacturer, just mm. just like that. You must have pretty much had the UK marketplace, yeah, to to yourself for for at least a short period before things yes. began to really yeah. take off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I think for a long time. Um, and it was quite popular in France too. <clears throat> People, uh, when I went to France, I've been going for many years, um, 
people used to say my bat box, um, meaning bat detector. Okay. So uh, although it may not have been a bat box. Yeah. Uh, which was quite um, pleasing to hear. Uh, but it was interesting uh, uh, that um, there were a few other European manufacturers around, but the UK stuck with the bat box detectors. Yeah. But again, back then, uh, people wouldn't have been aware of anything else. It's no. because, you know, it's just, it's a different world. And, and okay, here am I, like, I'm... Uh, I'm of a generation where I remember life before fax machines and photocopiers and computers mm. and stuff mm -hmm. like that, yeah. And uh, it must be quite strange for uh, some younger people to imagine that, yeah, there was actually a time that if you wanted to uh, buy something, you had to send a letter to somebody. You know? yeah. <laughs> yeah, with a check. With a check. <laughs> Which is probably what I did when I bought that detector yes, off you in 1996. Sure, sure. yeah, yeah. Right, so Stag Electronics, uh, that came out, you were doing the Batbox 3s, you moved on to the, the digital versions, uh, what we've got down here in the bottom right, the Batbox Duet, which to be honest, is still one of my go-to bat detectors to this day. Um, I never go anywhere without a duet. Uh, there are reasons for that. Um, personally, I like how sensitive the microphone system is on a duet. It will tend to pick up bats long before many of the other kit, considerably more expensive kit that you can buy. And the thing for me that was a life changer, and it's the first choice of kit we used when uh, I developed Echo's Ecology. The big thing for me was this white ref button on the bat detector, which allowed people to integrate in real time within the same sound file voice notes of what was actually getting recorded, including seeing the time or seeing a GPS location or anything just by holding down that ref button and uh, quite a lot of people have duets and they don't use that ref button, which I think is totally uh, bonkers in my opinion. But uh, I was a massive fan of the duet and still am. And that machine came out. When did that come out originally, the duet? Was that? Uh, duet, I think, uh, nine, uh, before 2000. Yeah. I think it was just before 2000. Um, and Colin Cato had a lot to do with this uh, because okay. he said, oh, I think we should, you know, you should do one with frequency division yeah. as well. Yeah. Uh, because he saw the potential for frequency division uh, allowing people to do an analysis and, yeah. um, and consultancies were just about starting then. Yeah. And, and the, National uh, Bat, the National Bat Monitoring Programme was beginning to start properly yeah. around about that point as well, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, there was, um, they did national bat monitoring, uh, I think, in the early 90s as well. Okay. But using any detector. And then they had to skew the results because the, the, of the sensitivity of the Batbox 3 was uh, apparently um, so much greater than all the others that they were getting more counts from people who had Batbox 3s. Yeah. Uh, 
So that that one was the first one on on a national uh, monitoring system, and then duets. Yes, people could then look at and confirm the species as well. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you had to rely with Hepsidine on the competence of the uh, the user to identify the, the bat he was listening to or she. Yeah, and and of course with the Hepsidine system. Um, you could only be tuned at one frequency at a time. So if you're tuned at a certain frequency, there is the potential that you would miss something happening elsewhere. But but with the duet, you you basically had the best of both worlds, you know. And and that that for me is a machine that um, opened up sound analysis relatively speaking, to the masses, because at, at that point in time, certainly from British Isles perspective, um, you could buy time expansion bat detectors, yeah? Uh, Paterson's uh, time expansion bat detector uh, was available then, it was extremely expensive. We had this guy, it was like David Beale, was making the Tranquility oh, yes. time yeah. expansion bat detectors. Yeah. But these machines back then, I mean, even the Tranquility you were talking, I seem to think almost a thousand quid for a Tranquility bat detector, which back back then was a lot of money. You know, it's, mm. it's a lot of money today, but back then yeah. it was even more. And you come up with this duet at, okay, the quality isn't as good as the time expansion, but it's doing it in real time whereas the time expansion uh, would be missing bats when it went into record mode. And you're producing this machine that is probably about a quarter of the price of what was available to most people. Mm. In other words, it wasn't available because it was too expensive. And that just opened up, uh, that just opened up sound analysis and an understanding of what was out there to a completely new level from what I can see. Is that how you were feeling it yourself from your perspective? Or do you... uh, yeah. I, I I didn't get too much feedback except in the form of orders for them. So I was quite pleased <laughs> that they were, they were selling. And uh, yes, uh, because I've always done some consultancy myself, um, we were going out and using them and finding it was very useful to be able to analyze the cause as well. Um, and they're, they're quite robust and um, you can sling them in the, a bag and they're, they're, they don't uh, fall apart very easily. Um, so it was a nice tool to have. Yeah. And, and the best tools are the ones you forget about and you don't have to worry about them, you just use them. Yeah. yeah. And with any tool, it's a mixture between the person and the tool. Um, and the best tools become part of the person. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still use mine. I've still got my original one that I got. I don't have the receipt for that one, okay? But uh, I've still got the original one I bought, which would have been round about, well, that was before Echoes. So Echoes launched in 2006 from memory. So I probably had a bat box duet maybe a year, maybe a year or so before that. And then in, in Echoes, 
suppose we must have we must have bought lots of them over the years because that was for many years. I mean, I'm not in Echoes anymore, so I'm not sure what the standard kit there is now, but certainly for the best part of a decade, uh, this was our uh, usual uh, bat detector of choice on all of the bat surveys we were doing up here in Scotland. So, uh, so thank you for that. And the com button, the com button there from my perspective was something that, and I know Peterson, they did something similar with their frequency division heterodyne uh, hybrid type machine, but uh, that COM button for me was a product differentiator um, and we trained many, many people how to use the COM button effectively during surveys and stuff like that, which then made the analysis uh, you know, a lot easier and a lot quicker. Now, Stag Electronics then became a bat box round about this yeah. time or shot. Why change a name? Okay, I mean, I'm yeah. I'm, I'm a bit of a marketing uh, guy. Okay, I give people uh, marketing advice in another part of what I get up to. And something that people have heard me say many times is never mess around with the brand. Don't, don't mess around with the brand. Uh, but you messed around with the brand and well, you moved from Stag Electronics to Batbox Limited. Tell us yeah. the story about that, because I find that well, quite interesting. Stag Electronics was an abbreviation of St Agnes. Okay. So, and and the, I was based in St Agnes and I lived in Cornwall. And um, when I moved from Cornwall to Sussex, we decided to, the Batbox, it was always called the Batbox. Um, so we decided to call it Batbox Limited because the name Batbox was getting a little bit more familiar to people. Yeah. So we became Batbox Limited and Incorporated. Yeah. Um, and everything else has been Batbox Limited since then. And then uh, obviously two years ago, I sold the business to John Tyrrell, who's okay. in North Hans, yeah. um, who's going to continue taking it on as soon as we can get out um, out and about listening to bats again. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. because he, uh, he'd pretty much just that happened, not not far away from the the COVID thing. Yeah, uh, yeah, taking off. bad yeah. timing, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah, and but, um, I think he's got new things, new ideas in the pipeline as well. So okay, okay. Well, we'll, we'll maybe get him onto Bat Ability Club at some point in the future to uh, talk about uh, yeah. What, what, what he's doing once he does stuff or once he's ready to uh, to do that. His wife is a town planner, so okay. she is interested in bats from that perspective. Okay. And she's she's the keen bat worker, really. Okay. So she, uh, I think that's why she became, they, he became interested. Okay, okay. So you've got no involvement with Bat Box Limited uh, anymore? Other than a friendly yeah. one now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, so I sat, so again, I mean, and I'm I've got no involvement with Echoes anymore. Okay, I, I sold Echoes over the last few years, over a period of time, mm -hmm. and and when you start something off from scratch, yeah, and for me, you know, Echoes started off as a bit of white foolscap paper with nothing on it in my living room, not far from where I'm sitting at the moment, and. 13 years later, whenever it was, I I walked out the door having sold it 
that was quite an emotional journey for me to get to that point whereby I was pretty much uh, leaving my own baby, if you like. Um, mm. Did you go through anything like that yourself with this? I mean, you must have been really emotionally attached to what you were doing and what you'd achieved and what you'd been successful at. Yeah. Uh, yes and no. Uh, it was hard work because I was having to do lots of uh, mundane things, you know, the detectors and dealing with sales and things like that, which I didn't particularly like doing. Um, uh, I, don't, I don't, I like using them, I like designing them, but uh, there wasn't much time to, to do new designs and things, things in electronics are getting more software based and I'm not really a software, I've done a tiny bit in my time, but I'm not really a software based person. Um, so it becomes a black box that you then introduce a lot of software to to make it work yeah. uh, after a little bit of hardware design. Uh, and things are moving that way and they're changing. Um, models are becoming obsolete very, very quickly. You know, after a year or two, there's always something new um, because the, the science is moving on or something like that, new developments in technology. Um, so uh, I thought I'd rather retire and uh, enjoy a bit of music, a bit of bat watching, a bit of wildlife, a bit of other things. Yeah. So yeah. many things I, I want to do, like astronomy and other things like that. Yeah. So not not so not a huge a bit of a no brainer then a little bit of a maybe not a no brainer but it ran its course. You'd yeah. achieved a lot, but yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. It, it provided me with a living for several years and. Uh, yeah. Lots of interesting people met on the way. Yeah. I met um, Don Griffin in in Texas. Wow. And that's where this um, photograph's from, is that right? Uh, the that's the, that's the um, place I met him. Yeah, I gave him one of my Bat Music tapes. Right. And, I, remember, uh, I remember that, yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, have a listen to what you've done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because it's his fault that we know about echolocation. Of course. And... Yeah. Uh, it, I was in a lift with him. He was very pleasant. And then um, I got home and he rang up and ordered uh, more for his, his uh, family for Christmas presents. So Don, uh, Don Griffin music. bought Bat Detectors from you? Yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. No, not Bat Detectors. These, this, was, this was the Bat music. Oh, tape. the music, the, 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 yeah. the tapes. Yeah, yeah, got the, it. Okay, the, right. Yeah, that music. Okay, okay. yeah. He was fascinated by that, and, and he wanted to buy some for his. I think there was grandchildren at the time. Wow, wow, and uh, that must have been that must have been uh, that must have been a bit of a buzz. Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> a feather in the cap. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we and uh, we're coming to the the. Um, point where, <clears throat> where I want to um, sell the consultancy now. So um, we're going to put that up for sale. Well, it's, it is up for sale now. So we're getting out of that and I'm going to retire to France. Okay. Okay. To do some of the things I want to do. Yeah. Sounds, sounds really, sounds really Not good. Not that I have to do. I mean, sometimes 
you want to do some of the stuff, but it's when you have to do it that it becomes a bit of a chore. Yeah. I mean, even doing doing recitals when I was a guitarist, um, I didn't always want to do them, yeah. particular yeah. ones. And uh, so it's kind of uh, doing what you want is much nicer than doing what you have to. Yeah, yeah. I can relate. I can relate a bit to that. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That's definitely. I can. Yeah, I can definitely understand what you mean. What you mean by that? So yeah. it won't be the end of doing bat detecting work. It'll just be what are parts of it that I want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's no. I think that's you know. And goodness, you deserve you deserve to do that. You know because you have uh, you know the stuff that that you've created and and as a and as a business person and I know originally. You didn't set out for this to be a business. It was more yeah. like a happy accident, maybe. Yes. Um, but once you start investing time and money and credibility um, into something, especially something uh, like what you were doing with all of these products for many years, um, it, it's so easy for people to kind of just think, well, that must have been easy or... Um, you know, that guy's done well for himself or whatever. But I think unless you've been that person that's taken that risk without knowing whether or not it was going to be successful or whether or not you're going to make a fool of yourself or whatever else without knowing any of those things, um, it can be quite a lonely, uh, scary place, I can imagine. And you must have had quite a lot of that uh, over the years. Yeah. Well, even the first one... um, when I wanted to get boards printed, multiple boards printed, um, instead of etching them myself, um, I suggested to my wife at the time, I said, I, I need to get a batch of boards made, but it was going to be quite expensive. And she said, Ooh, do you think that's a wise thing? She said, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because you've probably saturated the market. This was when I'd sold about 10. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, but I took the the plunge and got them, and they all sold. And I had to then order many more. Yeah. Um, but the the one that did cost the most money, and that yeah, let's uh, uh, the Griffin. I I went yeah, through several yeah. software writers at great expense, and uh, only the, the last one. Uh, Nathan was a was up to the job really. It yeah. was very expensive to produce, um, it, uh, let alone the hardware. The soft software cost a lot of money. Yeah. So I probably spent. I could have bought another house with what I spent developing it. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember uh, you. You showed me this. You you won't remember this, but uh, I remember it was the the first back conference that you'd taken one two there'd been mm-hmm. a lot bit of talk about it beforehand and you had a prototype with you at yeah. that particular uh, back conference and you were showing people how it worked and you know we look at this now and people will say yeah that's not very exciting you know there's lots of bat detectors that do things similar yeah. to yeah. that today but back when you started developing this, which would have been, what, 
2004, 2005, 2006, yes. around about then. Yeah. yeah. Back then, uh, I think we had, we maybe had... Anabats were around, the, the, the original Anabats. Yes, they just started. Yeah, they just, yeah. And Peterson had their very expensive... Um, the X-Men's Yeah, yeah, that, that was there. But there wasn't, there wasn't anything like this around at that time. No. I mean, you know, no. it, you were pretty much trying to do something that you weren't... You weren't really copying anybody else's idea here, you know. Yeah. You were, you were kind of working from scratch with it, weren't you? Yeah. yeah. Almost, yes. Uh, it, it was the length of recording that was the problem with um, most time expansion machines, and and yeah. getting something that was affordable again. Yeah. Um, but but the, it was almost ready. Three years before, if we'd had it out three years before, it would have been adopted by so many people and yeah. the whole thing would have gone ballistic but uh, it uh, the, as I say that we fell at the software hurdle really yeah. until we found the right person yeah. and, and, and then it it did what it was supposed to do basically but yeah. then there, by that time there were other detectors on the market that could do similar things. Yeah, and full spectrum was then yeah. beginning to build yeah. momentum and and the consultancy sector was never a huge fan of the time expansion systems because because yeah. they meant you missed missed bats. Uh, yeah. Although what you had here was going to overcome that because I think it was always going to be recording yeah. in frequency division as well. Um, but uh, and, it always it always yeah. records in time expansion, so you, it doesn't miss any bats at all. Yeah, yeah, but uh, but prior to in, that, in full spectrum, sorry, in full spectrum, yeah, yeah. Okay, look, I just want to go. I want to go back a couple of slides. Okay, um, talk very briefly about bat scan software. So, this although it's maybe not a software program that uh, many people use uh, today. I mean, it still does get used. But this was such an important uh, piece of kit at the time because this allowed people that were beginning to get into sound analysis, this gave them a software program that allowed them to develop their skills and appreciate more of what was involved when it came to sound analysis, etc. And it was very affordable, very easy to use. And I think for many people, uh, probably still today, this for many people would have been what they would have maybe started out with uh, before they maybe went on to uh, purchasing more expensive software packages, of which there are many today. But back then, there wasn't really that many options. It was pretty much bat sound, uh, which is excellent software, but, but you would have paid a lot more for bat sound analysis software back then. Mm. Uh, compared to this. Do you want to talk a little bit about that scan? Just tell oh, us a little bit about it. Yeah. Yeah. I saw a program um, on the internet that was rather sophist more sophisticated than that scan. And um, I found the author of, of this program in um, America and asked him if he could do a cut down version and dedicate it to bat frequencies. Um, we we to and fro with emails and and trial versions and adapted it so that it was as simple as it could be, but based on his FFT program, 
uh, fast Fourier transformation and uh, to, to produce spectrums, spectrograms. That's the, that's the, the one I was uh, trying to remember earlier, spectrogram. Right, yes, 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 yes. It, it's yeah. a sort of cut, cut down version of that. Yes. And, yeah. uh, and the frequencies, the margins are all made for bats. And then there was selection sections and things. And he, he adapted it. Uh, we commissioned him to do that. And that was to go with the duet. And it worked quite well and um, had a few teething problems. Most of it was, most of the difficulties were getting keys, you know, to operate it. So yeah. when we first sold them, you had to have a key to get it to work and then people would lose their keys. And and it wasn't, it was becoming uh, uneconomical to sell because that we had more people ringing up saying, my uh, bat scan isn't working because blah yeah. blah and it was something to do with their computer so you yeah. became a, a consultant for individuals computers everywhere yeah so uh, the cheapness of it uh, came back to bite us because the customer service uh, used up all the any profit that we had but yeah. Yeah. i was quite happy to do that because it would gave people with the duet some uh, means of doing their analysis yeah um, and then eventually somebody hacked Spectrogram and put it up free on the internet. Um, and he wrote to me and said, look, you can have it for free now because um, somebody's hacked it um, <clears throat> or hacked the Spectrogram, <clears throat> which meant they could probably hack um, this one as well. Yeah, yeah. So um, then we decided to give it away with um, Baton. Okay, yeah. that's right. You'd buy a baton and you would get the, the bat scan CD does. with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was very cheap. I mean, yeah, yeah. And it was too cheap to provide backup for, really. Yeah, yeah. Right, let's, 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 let's just move on because we've got a lot of things to talk about still. Uh, I definitely want to talk about this, okay? Um, now, anybody that's doing bats in the British Isles, in my opinion, that hasn't got this book and the accompanying CD is really missing out, yeah. And uh, I got a little bit of nostalgia here as well. Here is my version of of that book, and you can see the the pages are all uh, loose leaf now. It it didn't come like that. It's just a very very uh, well used uh, book. It's been used in many training courses, and I've read it many times, and I've recommended it to. I wouldn't exaggerate if I would say I've recommended this to hundreds of people over the years. And this really does help get your head around understanding heterodyne, bat detecting and how sound works and what to listen out for when you come across different species and how different frequencies interact with what those species are doing and why they interact differently, etc, etc and heterodyne bat detecting is still considerably important today because for a lot of us, this is what we're still basing our real-time field interpretations on. Anyway, mm. I've plugged enough about that, but David, this must have been a brilliant project to be involved with, with uh, Brian Briggs. Um, yeah. Tell us a bit about how this came to be. and well, It was fun. and, and um... 
I said, we had a chat about it. We should produce a book about how to use the bat detector and what the sounds mean. And um, Brian said, why don't we produce a book? Um, we got together and I said, well, you do a draft of the text and I'll do the sonograms and the the inserts and, and I'll do the sound, I'll do the CD. Yeah. Because I had lots of recordings. And um, it was the enjoyable bit was producing the CD because it was the first time bat sounds had been used on a CD. Um, yeah. It's yeah. the first CD of bat sounds yeah. that there was in this country anyway. And uh, so people had a reference. Um, and it was at the time when people were just changing from tape to CD. Yeah. Um, and so it was quite, it was quite uh, good for, for um, jumping tracks, which with a tape, you had to rewind and listen to the same one again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. By rewinding and hoping you'd got the right part of the tape. So, and then eventually the tape would get caught up within the within the tape yeah, recorder or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it was a big step forward for being able to listen to the sounds you were going to hear, and I think a lot of people bought it because it came with a CD. Yeah, we sold thousands of those. I mean, uh, must have been in excess of ten thousand. Yeah, I could I could easily believe that. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, which would have been a bestseller these days. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And this and this was before. Uh, I mean, we've all got stuff that we go to today uh, on the internet or other books that have been produced and stuff like that. But this was pretty much, uh, John John Ross had done his uh, first uh, book on British back calls. I think the, the big E4 one that had the oh, yes. orange kind of cover that, on it. Yes. Yeah, yes. Uh, That was out, but that didn't come with any, uh, there was no CDs or no. recordings with that. Mm. And then you guys did this. And really between those two things at that time, I think I'm right in saying, um, there was the stuff that Michel Baratol had done, right. which was extremely good, um, but that wasn't focused just on uh, the British Isles. That was no. That was focused more. Thirty-seven species. Yeah, um, and this this came out, and as I say, I still think this is one of the best uh, things that has been produced that has helped so many, so many people uh, understand what they were doing or what they are doing today. And you can still get this today. Is that, that's correct, yeah? It's still available uh, yes, to buy. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, NHBS, Amazon, Batbox Limited. I'm quite sure if you go to any of those places. What we'll do actually, uh, for those of you watching this on Batability Club, we'll stick a link underneath the video uh, that shows you where you can uh, buy this. And I'm not on commission or anything like that, I promise, okay? <laughs> so, uh, Neither am I. <laughs> seriously? Oh, right, okay, yeah. right, okay. Did that go to the... Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. I, I I, could have sort of held out for his commission, but uh, I said, you know, yeah, I didn't know how long it would go on for, so I yeah. he could uh, have it as part of the sale. Okay, okay, right, okay. I think Brian's probably getting commissioned for it. Okay. I, I don't know if it's going to continue much longer, but I don't know. Yeah. Depends on the sales, I suppose. 
Well, I, I think, I th well, for me, you know, I don't think uh, there is enough in the marketplace at the moment that's telling people how to use heterodyne bat detectors properly mm. and accurately. And actually, um, it's a bit of a coincidence, but in April next month, I'm, actually, I'm doing a, a webinar on uh, using and listening to heterodyne bat detectors and uh, and comparing um, manual heterodyning to auto heterodyning, talking about the pros and the cons between the two different systems. Um, because it's something I'm quite passionate about. I, I just think if people are out there with a very expensive full spectrum bat detector that's allowing them to listen to the calls in heterodyne in real time, it seems it seems to me bonkers if the person doesn't understand how that heterodyne system works and how to use it to their mm. advantage in the field. That to me yeah. is an opportunity missed in terms of field interpretation. I'm quite sure you would agree with all of that and a lot more. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In yeah. addition, I think the way things are going, you could not, you don't have to have anything to do with the bats these days. You just can stick out a full spectrum yeah. um, recorder and go home and uh, carry on with your life and then and come back again and pick up the results, analyse it, and you can be totally disjointed from the the actual situation of in nature that um, yeah. you that you would get if you were listening in heterodyne. Yeah, because being there and listening in real time and understanding in real time, yeah. that allows you to potentially interpret what an individual bat is doing. It allows you to potentially interpret behaviour. It allows you to interpret what species of bat you've got, which might mm. then uh, lead you to doing or well, any of those things might then lead you in the moment to maybe mm. taking a slightly different approach to the rest of that survey yep. than what you might have done had you not I mean imagine somebody standing outside a, a consultancy job they've got a couple of pipistrels flying past they just assume that they're common pip or soprano pip and they're not really that interested in what the pips are doing and then a month later, they do the analysis and they find they had a whole load of enthusiast pip flying around them. They mm. would have probably thought to themselves, oh my goodness, if I'd known that a month ago, mm. I might have been doing something slightly different for the last four yeah. weeks, perhaps. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. difficult, really. Um, yeah. if, you're, if you're not there, you, you might be recording the same bat several times, yeah. going around in circles. Uh, but if you're there, you can see it's one or two bats, not ten. Yeah. Um, so it's really difficult to interpret if you if you don't have all your senses there. Yeah. And it's obviously obviously you have to use the remote detectors sometimes. Yeah. You can't be there twenty four hours a day. Yeah. But um, to use them in preference to being there, I think is. Yeah. I think so it's, it's 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 tools for jobs, isn't it? Yeah. And it's a uh, and it's. People often ask me, right, what's the best bat detector? And I've kind of got two answers to that. Um, I mean, answer number one is, well, it depends on the job. It depends on what you're seeking to do on that particular survey that could dictate what would be the best machine or the best type of machine yeah. uh, to 
to use. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, and another answer really is, um, it also depends on whether you're going to be uh, visually observe, observing uh, the or potentially uh, encountering the bats firsthand, or whether you're going to be using it as a remote device. And again, that's going to give you a different answer. And uh, yeah, so it's it's tools for the job and it depends on what is the job. Uh, that's kind yeah. of how I would view those things. Yeah. 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 Um, but I do, and I say this quite honestly, and I don't, I'm saying this on tape, okay? And people, <coughs> people will quote me on this perhaps going forward. But I, I did an experiment uh, quite a few years ago now, maybe what five, six years ago, where I had a bat box duet, yeah, and a whole range of other bat detectors pretty much side by side in an area where we were recording uh, commuting bats. And I was trying to gauge uh, how good the various bat detectors were at picking up uh, bats from different distances. and. It was Pips and Dubentons that we had in the area that night. And the bat box duet in terms of picking up uh, the bats from further away and making you aware that you had a bat in your presence was consistently the one that was picking up the bats uh, well ahead of these other machines that cost considerably more. (laughs) And and I always kind of say to people, you know, a bat box jet, you know, it's a really good bat detector if you're trying to encounter bats or be aware that there are bats, you know, nearby or whatever. Um, yeah. But, yeah. You, you, people get used to certain detectors that they, um, they've got and, uh, and the more you use them, the more you get accustomed to that listening in the way that they produce the sound. Um, my favorite at the moment is this one the xd the xd okay so let's see can we get that up here now here we go here's the xd this is a a super version of the baton now i'm I'm gonna i'm gonna have to confess i have never used an xd so i'm probably gonna learn a few things here okay it's rather like the duet but instead of um uh, frequency division and heterodyne you've got frequency division and time expansion yeah so what it does is it captures um a passing sound uh, i think about a second and then plays it back until there's some other event so it doesn't necessarily use up all the time of playback if something more interesting comes up and it'll choose that and, and play that back. So you get a continuous time expansion sound in one ear. Okay. All, all of the time you've got the frequency division, so you're not missing any bat at any frequency. Yeah. So yeah. in the other ear, so and you can swap ears if you prefer having one in the other. Yeah. Um, but um, again, this one, this one was developed, um, ooh, when did it? I think 2007. Wow. And I know uh, um, uh, it, we sold uh, hundreds of them, but not enough to to produce. It was very expensive to produce to to um, make another batch, so we we dropped that one. Okay. Um, I use this one now on my um, infrared camera as a microphone. I've fitted a a, um, a clip to it. Okay. Uh, I put it on there. 
plug it into the um, the sound in the line in on the uh, infrared camera. And so I've got a both a frequency division and time expansion and the video. So I can then, if if necessary, as as a backup, I can use the sound file to analyze. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. That 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 sounds great. Although that I, sounds really good. Yeah. Yeah. Although I I record it anyway in full spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. And you're using that one there in the pictures. That in conjunction with is that uh, what software? Oh yes. That's right. That oh you can plug this into a a smartphone. Okay. And have real time sonograms as well. Right. Okay. So that would be using something like. Uh, Bat recorder. Bat recorder, yeah. yeah, yeah. I've I've got that. I've I've used that. Yes, uh, which is a very very good bit of software. It is, yeah. And it, it hardly costs anything from memory. I think yeah. I got it for about five quid or something. Is that possible? I seem to remember it was. Uh, yeah, it wasn't very much. Yeah, and and I and I remember I downloaded that and I thought, well, this isn't going to be very good at that price, and it was only twenty two years ago and I haven't used it regularly but I've used it sometimes in conjunction with the uh, with that uh, ultrasonic mic and it's a really really good bit of software that it is, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 okay so things, things are moving in that direction less on hardware more in software yeah yeah, yeah. <coughs> excuse me no no that, that's that that's really good so Batbox Limited, you already mentioned uh, you've sold that, but uh, everyone uh, listening, uh, Batbox Limited uh, still exists as a company, as David mentioned earlier, and quite a lot of the products, with possibly the exception of the XD, it's not available anymore. Is that right, or is it? Uh, the Griffin's not available either. The Griffin's, of course, the Griffin's not available either. Yeah. Um, but uh, and uh, obviously the, it's the duet and the baton that are the ones that you can get now. Okay. And the bat scan and the bat detective. And the bat detective. So you could go there if you're looking for any of those items. And as David alluded to earlier, there are possibly new things coming from Batbox Limited at some point in the future. Yes, but. Yes. Uh, but we're not allowed to talk about those, or we don't know about those. So <laughs> that'll, that'll be for Batbox Limited yeah. to announce as and when uh, <laughs> they're ready to do that. Yeah. So what's next, David? Okay, well, you're thinking, well, you're trying to sell your consultancy business. You're out, yes. of, ba you're out of Batbox. Uh, I've got a nice map of France here because- We're, we're applying for residency there. Ah, okay. Nice one. So, okay. Yeah, and yeah. we're in the middle of it. So we we had to get in before the um, the Brexit thing happened. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so we we applied at the end of last year. Okay. And uh, it's going through at the moment. Um, we're, we're just waiting for a, an interview with the prefecture in the region. Okay. So that we can uh, get a what they call a carte de visite. Séjour, yeah, uh, which allows you to stay there. Um, yeah, because at the moment, uh, for for us for us Brits now, if we go to Europe, uh, we've got we're only allowed to be there for is it ninety days in any yes. one hundred and eighty day period? Yes, something like right. that. Yes, yeah. Uh, yes, I believe that's right. Yeah. So by but doing we, what we, you're doing, you, you'd be able to go there for as long as you want without having yes. to keep coming back to the UK. Yes. Yeah. 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 
Okay. Yeah, as it was before um, before Brexit. We yeah. could do that. Unfortunately, it's uh, not possible now to just go backwards and forwards. But um, yeah, we've got a, a house in the Jeep there that we the Jeep we let out. Um, we've been there for 19 years, uh, nearly 20 years, and we've been doing up. It, it used to be a cider farm, so we've got several buildings, and we've converted one to a jeet, okay. um, which is a really nice, nice little place, and it's it's full of wildlife. It's a little pocket in Normandy. Okay. Um, we have um, we've had 11 species coming through the garage in one night. Wow! I left the I left the Griffin out recording one night and uh, analysed the calls the next day. And we had greater horseshoe, lesser horseshoes, natteras, um, both type of long-eared, brown long-eared, and, and we do get grey long-eared, so probably some of those were grey long-eareds um, because uh, I've actually seen some in, in the flesh in the garage, grey okay. long-eared. Okay. Um, three types of pips. Um, in fact, four types of pit because we've got enthusiasts and cools there. Okay. Um, well, oh, we haven't got. No, it might be three because we haven't got um, pygmaeus over there. Okay. Uh, yeah. Greater mouseid, um, which are quite abundant in the area. Okay. Um, and the one that we had in Sussex is now um, disappeared, so we haven't got any over here now. Okay. But uh, yeah, it's full of wildlife. We get wild boar and uh, deer, and we've got uh, fweens, which are stone martins in the roof of the house. Okay. Um, hundreds of birds. We've had golden oriole, hoopoe. Um, we've got turtle dove there. Wow. It's a, it's a little haven, really. Yeah, that just sounds amazing. Sounds absolutely yeah. amazing. Uh, as we were talking earlier, uh, I spent quite a bit of time in France myself. We, we are further south, but you're up here. You're kind of, yeah. I think you said you were north of Le Mans. Right. Uh, Very in, near Camembert. Okay, yeah. So this kind of area here, I think, uh, is roughly where we are. Um, and yeah, you know, to have all of that uh, there is just amazing. So you're going to sell up uh, where you are in England and... Yes, move, uh, yeah. eventually we'll, we'll keep a place here to come and visit family. Okay. Um, but uh, yes, we'll probably eventually sell up okay. um, and and just um, leave there and yeah. just let the jeet out and uh, yeah. retire quietly. Yeah. No, it sounds, <laughs> sounds absolutely brilliant. That's, that's a plan. It sounds plan. Yeah. And then you'll start doing bat holidays for a spritz. Yeah, we thought about that actually because it, it, we 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 know lots of places around about caves and things like that where yeah. where there are hibernating bats, uh, greater mousehead especially. Yeah. Um, and both types of horseshoe bat, uh, and we're we're in touch with the local bat worker there who's really good. Okay. And he he. Uh, leads walks and things like that so we'll get it more involved with it over there as well and okay. we we could do back courses there yeah yeah no but uh, i could see that i could see that being uh, of interest um mm. so uh, so if anybody out there's thinking about know. doing this don't bother okay david thought about it first okay <laughs> <laughs> so, looks good looks good right look we have been talking for 
ages. Um, I've really enjoyed that. Um, we ended up ah, we ended up talking about quite a few things. I don't think either of us would have anticipated. Um, I don't want you to go away, okay? But I'm going to I'm going to finish off the formal part of the talking back session in the next minute or so and stop the recording. And then after that, David, if you could just hold on for a few more minutes, we can just have a, a quick uh, gab about a few other things, if, if that's cool. Okay, yeah. so David, have you enjoyed talking bat? Yeah. Yes, I've had, yes, it's very interesting. It's, uh, it's jogged my memory about lots of things that I'd completely forgotten about. Yeah, yeah, and um, I, I Until today, I, 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 hadn't counted the number of bat detectors that uh, we've designed. Uh, I, I didn't know that it was eight. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the first time I've ever thought about it because it's just been going from one to the next. Yeah. And uh, I'd forgotten about the bat ears. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, when you're busy, you just forget about things. Yeah. So uh, it's been interesting to me as well. Uh, and we talk about dates and, you know, trying to think when I did this, when I did that. Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. Well, look, I mean, you probably don't see it this way because you'd be sitting there manufacturing and developing and producing all of these machines. But, but the stuff that you did, you know, from my perspective, uh, the risks that you took, the products that you produced, uh, basically opened up a whole world of uh, opportunity and knowledge to, you know, a huge number of people, considerably more than what could have ever been imaginable back when you produced that first bat detector and you'd, you'd given away or you'd sold eight or nine of them. You couldn't have imagined back then that there'd be thousands of people just, yeah. just in the British Isles using these machines and that's probably an underestimate and and the whole reason that uh, these people know uh, what they're talking about and what they're using and uh, technology and product development has got to where it is today is because people like yourself and of course people like Lars Peterson uh, were doing this stuff decades ago and taking the risk and experimenting with designs just to see what was possible. So I think uh, certainly um, it's, you know. it's good to have been part of the the the, um, the birth of interest in in bats of wider interest anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, I'm glad I could contribute to that. And that, that was always my goal, is to get more people in, interested in this wonderful thing about listening to bats. Yeah. You know, um, it, it, when you find something nice, you want to share it with people. Yeah. You know, and, and get them interested too. And it's always been driven that way, really. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, and probably yeah. that's why I'm not rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you and me both. I'm I'm not rich because I keep buying bat detectors that people like you keep making, you know. <laughs> but uh, but but seriously, you know, uh, it's been fascinating, and and I've you know when I 
approached you quite a few months ago asking you to do this. Um, you know, I thought I knew quite a bit about you at that point and I've learned, even in the last couple of hours, I've learned so much more about the background to the products, to yourself, etc. Um, yeah, so I'm quite sure anybody else listening to this will have uh, gleaned a wealth of information and, uh, you know, history behind quite a lot of those things that we've been talking about. So David, once again, thank you so much for your time today. It has been hugely appreciated. We hope you enjoyed this Talking Bat interview, which is an edited, audio-only version of the original videoed session. The full version, including video, is available via Batability Club, our online training platform. To find out more about Club, go to batability.co.uk. Till next time, thank you. Mm-hmm.